I became a Christ follower in high school. And I thought, what is it that Christians do now that I was one? And I looked around and all my Christian friends that I found did three basic things. They all wore Christian t-shirts. They all listened to Christian music. And they all, they all put one of those fish, the Jesus fish on the back of their car. So I put one on the front and back and uh, never got a ticket. And uh, I remember I was like, man, this is incredible. Like, I'm a Christian. I'm looking the part. I'm acting the part. I'm dressing the part. I wanted everything in my life to be Christianized. I wanted to date a Christian, drink Christian coffee, own a Christian pet. Like, I just wanted my whole life to be Christianized. And I remember I go to college to study elementary education, and I'm walking across campus my freshman year, and this guy stops me. I've never seen him before, and he says, what's your name? And I said, Todd. And he said, are you a Christian? And I showed him my shirt. And... Um, I remember he invited me to a Bible study, and I was like, okay, I guess I have to because I'm wearing a Christian t-shirt. And um, he said it meets at 6.30, so I said, okay, I'll grab dinner early. And he said, no, the other one. I didn't know there were two. And um, I, I remember I get to the Bible study, and he does something that I wasn't uh, thinking he would do. He laid out a map of the world, and he said, Todd, pick a country and pray for it. And I start to, like, freak out. I'd never prayed out loud for anything, less not the nation's. And um, so I said, I'll pray for America. He's like, pick somewhere further away. I'm like, Canada. He said, um, he said, pick somewhere further away. So I looked down at the middle of the map, and the largest country that caught my attention was Saudi Arabia. And so I began to pray for Saudi Arabia. After the, after the prayer, he said, come back next week. Tell me how many Muslims, how many mosques, how many Christians, how many churches are in Saudi Arabia. So for the next seven weeks, I started to research this incredible country. And um, after seven weeks, I felt like God wanted me to move there. <laughs> I'm like, no, Lord, sorry. I didn't go to Bible school. I don't own a passport. I don't wear Toms. I'm so far removed from like anything missional, like no. And I remember that like, like I remember sitting in my dorm room bed and God just challenged me with this idea of Todd, I'm not interested in you Christianizing your life. I'm interested in you crucifying your life. I'm not interested in you Christianizing your life. I'm interested in you crucifying your life. And I just, I thought, Lord, I mean, here I am, a white, wealthy Westerner, and he's asking me to do something I don't want to do. And I remember just trying to see God's mission and me playing a part instead of my mission and God playing a part. And I think this morning, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about what is God's mission as he invites us in. And so we're just going to do a, a broad brush of scripture asking the question, what is God doing and are we going to play a part? It starts in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Two people on the planet, Adam and Eve, and God says, fill the earth. I want the earth populated. This is a physical command, but it has spiritual intentions. As the waters cover the earth, so the knowledge of me. That's what God says. Genesis chapter 3, man sins. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, every thought of man is evil. God floods the earth in chapter 7 and 8. One family steps off the ark in Genesis chapter 9. God says to Noah, this command, fill the earth, fill the earth. Fill the earth. It's the same command as Genesis 1.28. So as I'm reading the Bible, I'm asking the question, does God get it? Does God get the earth filled? Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and a common speech. It's important to realize, as of this point, there was only one language spoken in the world, English. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in China, and they settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Uh, how many Christ followers? I want to pad my resume and live close to my family. 
So in their disobedience, the Lord comes down in verse seven. He says, come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Genesis chapter 11 is a pivotal point in scripture. Genesis 11, we go from one language to all the languages today, French, Mandarin, Spanish, rap. It all comes from Genesis chapter 11. Now, if you picked up a Bible and began to read it, you would realize the Bible's broken up into three sections, the introduction, the plot, and the conclusion. Just like every good book, the introduction, the plot, and the conclusion. Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction. Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction, and all it does is set up the main characters and cause tension. The plot runs from Genesis 12 to Jude, and the conclusion is found in Revelation. So as you come to Genesis chapter 11, and God has just scattered all the nations, you're reading the scriptures going, man, how is God going to regather them under his name, under his glory, from Genesis 11, what's he going to do to reach the nations? To answer the question, all you have to do is turn the page. Turn the page to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, God responds. His mission begins. His mission hits motion in Genesis 12. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Ever curse you, I will curse. But Abram, are you ready for this? The reason I am even inviting you into my mission is because a chapter ago I scattered the nations. I'm going to start with you to regather them. I had no idea for the first 10 years of my spirituality how important Genesis 12, 1 through 4 was. I had no idea for the first decade of my spirituality that Genesis 12, 1 through 4, is the beginning of the mission of God that I'm grafted into. The leading scholar of all of Christians in all of Europe was asked this question, what's the most important passage in all the Bible? And John Stott, who died a few years ago, said this, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. The whole of God's purpose is encapsulated here. I call this passage the Abrahamic revolution because what begins with Abraham comes to me. It goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to Jesus to the early church to us, but it begins in Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Genesis 26, hey, guess what, Isaac? Just like your father Abram, the mission of God comes to you. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands with your offspring. Here it is again. All nations on earth will be blessed. Jacob, just like your father Isaac and his father Abraham, the mission of God comes to you. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out to the west, the east, north, the south. We're not even out of Genesis yet. All peoples on earth. All peoples on earth. I'm going to regather them. I started in Genesis 11. I scattered. I'm going to regather them. All peoples. The mission of God comes to you, Jacob. A friend of mine went to K-State University in Manhattan, Kansas, and he's like, man, Todd, we didn't have much in college, but my greatest memories was, were, were away football games. Like, traveling to away football games were my greatest memories. And he began to tell me, he's like, man, one time, five of my friends texted me, and they said, be out front in 10. I packed a bag, went downstairs in the dorms, rolled out in the front. They, they, they came around in their SUV. We drove 10 hours from Manhattan, Kansas to Dallas, Texas to watch our team play in away football game. He says, Todd, when we got to Dallas, Texas, my friends pulled out their baggage, and unbeknownst to me, in the back of the, of the SUV, there were eight cans of purple wall paint. And my friend said, men, suit up. You want me to paint my body purple? Like we could die of skin poisoning. But we all knew it was worth it. 
head to toe, head to toe, he said, we painted our bodies purple. He said, Todd, do you know what word the six of us painted on our chest? I'm like, what, hey, mom? Hi, ESPN? He said, no, the six of us painted one word on our chest. Family. I said, family? Why family? He said, because, man, at K-State University, when you come in as a freshman, they say, you're not a student, you're part of a family. The football stadium at K-State University is called Family Stadium. He said, Todd, something happened in the third quarter with a minute left. I said, what? He said, we were down by 41. He said, I'm banging on the bleachers. I'm yelling at the refs. He says, Todd, I have this epiphany. He says, I realize I'm in desperate need of exercise and our team's in desperate need of rest, but I can't get in the game because I'm painted in purple with an F on my chest wearing a kilt. I said, bro, I think you've just succinctly summarized American Christianity. I think you've just succinctly summarized American Christianity. We're in the family, but we're not in the game. Oh, I'm a Christ follower. I I don't celebrate Halloween. But when it comes to engaging God's heart for the nations, no thanks, Lord. I'm so sorry. Right now, it's just not the right age or stage. I have two kids, a mortgage, and a snowmobile. I'm just drowning right now in busyness and but, but I'm sure, like, I'm for missions. It's just not for me. God invites us in. Every story we read in this book points back to his name being made great among all. Every story points back to his name being made, made great among all nations. I mean, the Ten Commandments, how could that point to his name being great among the nations? Deuteronomy, God says this to, to Moses. He, Moses says this to the people. I've taught you these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and worship me. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Jebusites are going to see the Israelites and they're going to say, you worship the true God. Why did God bring Israel out of Egypt? Why did he raise up Pharaoh? Exodus chapter 9. I have raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power. But more than that, my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. Solomon He gives Solomon wisdom beyond his years. Why? 1 Kings 10. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon. The queen of Sheba travels from Yemen to Jerusalem to meet with Solomon. We could literally do this with every story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come up out of the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar decides to write a letter. A pagan Babylonian king writes a letter in Daniel 4, It made its way into our Bible. And guess who he addresses the letter to? Peoples, nations, men who live in every language, who live in all the world. And then he worships our God. Every story. I don't know if they have them here. I just got here last night. I don't know if they have them here. But in Arkansas, where I'm from, we have what's called Christian bookstores. They're pretty awesome. It's like the size of Walmart, but you have to be a Christian to go in. And... um, I remember my wife and I, we were just bored on date nights. We're like, let's go to the Christian bookstore. And so we, you know, we meander over there. And uh, you can get some great stuff at the Christian bookstore. You can, get, you can get mints that help you memorize verses. You can get Christian plants, Christian pictures, Christian uh, uh, paper. I mean, it's just wider than Office Depot. It's really cool what you can get at the Christian bookstore. And so here I am walking around the Christian bookstore, and I come across this picture, and I'm like, oh, I heart this with my heart. I need this. I need this picture. And my wife's like, why? I'm like, I mean, it, 
It had a stream, fishermen, tackle box, deer. And like in 98 gold font calligraphy, my favorite Old Testament verse. Be still and know that I'm God, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, yes, yes. And then I started to look at the picture, and I'm like, wait a minute. I've seen that verse my whole life. I had no idea there was a dot, dot, dot. As a third grade teacher, I'm highly aware of a dot, dot, dot. The dot, dot, dot. The dot, dot, dot just means, hey, don't worry about the second half. It's not for you. Focus on the first half. It's about you. So I'm like, man. How bad is the second half of Psalm 46.10 that it never makes the tea towel? I mean, what to say? Be still and know that I'm God and Judas found a rope and hung himself? I mean, how bad is the second half that nobody knows it? I, look, I went to the Bible section. I grabbed a Bible. I'm like, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted among the earth. That's the whole verse. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted among the earth. But a white, as a white, wealthy Westerner, I don't like the responsibility of taking his name to the nations. Instead, I just prefer the blessings of comfort of salvation. So I ask you, how can I, as a white, wealthy Westerner, get around taking his name to the nations and instead bask in his blessing? And I figured it out. Dot, dot, dot. Not my problem. Sorry, Lord. Just not a good time. I'll do it later. I told my wife, I'm like, man, I need intervention. Like, I, I, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to take a Bible, start in Genesis 1, read 10 chapters a day, get through it in four months, and highlight only the verses that say all peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages. That's all I'm looking for. All peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues, languages. 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 All peoples, nations, earth, tribes, tongues. And I got to the end, and it took me two and a half highlighters. Not because I left the cap off, but because there's that many verses. So now when someone's like, hey, bro, why are you moving your wife and six kids to the Middle East? I say, why are you not? I slap him. <laughs> Isaiah, it's too small a thing for to be my servant to store the tribes of Jacob. I'll bring back those, or bring back those of Israel I have kept. I'll make you a light for the nations that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jeremiah, O Lord, my strength, my fortress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Zephaniah 2.11, the Lord will be awesome with them when he destroys the gods of the land. Are you kidding me? We're still in the Old Testament. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in their own land. It keeps going. Malachi, my name will be great among the nations. When the rising say, you almost have to avoid it. I got asked to speak at the uh, largest Christian university in all of Canada. 5,000 students. And I mean, I was like, 
that's amazing. And so I remember I get to campus early. I was, I was scheduled to speak Tuesday morning at chapel, Wednesday morning at chapel, Thursday morning at chapel, and Beth Moore was closing Friday morning at chapel. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. And so I get to campus. It's the, it's the large, that's like it's the largest Christian, 5,000 students. And so I get to campus, and I'm walking around. I had breakfast at the campus ministry, and I'm like, this is amazing. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, this is indeed the largest. He's like, I know. I said, man. It meets in the gym, the basketball arena. I said, about how many students are going to be there? He said, well, missions week is the one week we make mission, we, we, we make chapel optional. So we're praying for 200. I got up and I spoke to 167 Canadian college students, challenged them to give five years of their life after they graduate to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world. And as soon as I finished, Tuesday morning, there's a line seven deep of Canadian students, each one saying the same thing. Please, sir, have me excused. I have debt. Please, sir, have me excused. I'm getting married. Please, sir, have me excused. I'm getting a master's. Please, sir, have me excused. My, my, my family would never let me go. Please, sir, have me excused. I just signed into your iPhone contract. One after another. Please, sir, have me excused. So I flew out Friday. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go back to Arkansas where I'm from. Instead, I went to Salt Lake City where I was scheduled to speak at a church that Sunday. And I land in Salt Lake City, Utah. I grab my rental. I leave the parking garage, and I, I Google map where I'm going, and it says, turn right on Temple Street. To where does Temple Street lead? And I realized first in Temple is the largest Mormon temple in the world. I was like, I want to go. I want to go to the largest Mormon temple and get a selfie. I mean, just how beautiful would that be? So I go to First and Temple, park the car, get out, take a selfie, and I look over, and next to the largest Mormon temple in the world is a glass building three stories tall, about the size of this room, and um, I, it's all glass, and etched in glass, it says, Mormon Welcome Center. I want to go. I want to be welcomed by Mormons in Utah. So I walk over there, I open the door, and I say, Good Mormon! Top of the Mormon to you. 20 of the most well-dressed, well-educated young adults came walking towards me. One of the girls, Veronica, came up to me. I said, what are you doing here? She's like, well, every Mormon gives two years of their life after they graduate to missions. She said, when the letter came, it was the greatest day of my life. I said, you get a letter? She pulls it out of her, her, her purse. She says, this is the greatest thing I own. I read the letter. I then drive 45 minutes south from Salt Lake City to Provo, Utah, where I'm scheduled to speak at Brigham Young University to a few Christ followers. Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah is the largest Mormon university in the world. And I, I, I'm driving 45 minutes from Salt Lake City to Provo, Utah, and I'm, I'm about a, a mile off of campus. I'm ready. I'm kind of gearing up, and I look over, and there's a, a shopping center, and there's a, there's, there's a store. And the, the title, I'm sitting at the stoplight, the title of the store caught my attention, the Missionary Mall. I want to go. What beautiful things could you buy in the Missionary Mall? So I go in, walk inside the Missionary Mall, and I realize the Missionary Mall is the spot where people take their kids who are getting ready to go on mission. It's where you buy everything you need for your Mormon mission trip. Suit, tie, bike helmet, it all comes right there, the Missionary Mall. And so 
All I'm doing in the missionary mall is I'm looking at the faces of the families. I'm looking at the faces of the fathers and the mothers, mothers and I'm telling you it's the greatest day of their life. I walk out to my car, I open my journal, and I write, Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. Ask any Christian parent this question and watch their response. How many kids do you have? Three? What countries are you praying for your kids to be missionaries to? I'll tell you yours if you tell me mine. Which countries are you praying, God, to send your kids? Instead, if hypothetically one of our children get a heart for the world, we're the first to talk them out of it and show them the needs here. Why is that? I want the blessings of salvation, but I don't want the responsibility. Jesus, in the New Testament, continues with what began in Genesis 12. Matter of fact, the first great commission Jesus gives us is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it's the most popular of the great commission texts. It's not the only great commission text. It's the first one we know. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, all nations. This is the first great commission text. It's not the only great commission text. The second great commission text is Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This is the second Great Commission text. It's not the only Great Commission text. We saw the first one. We saw the second one. There's the third Great Commission text. The third Great Commission text is Luke 24. This is written, Genesis 12. Do you not remember? Christ will suffer and rise from the dead, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is the third Great Commission text. It's not the only Great Commission text. This is the third one. There's the fourth one. The fourth one is John 20, 21. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. This is the fourth Great Commission text. It's not the final Great Commission. There's the fifth Great Commission text. Acts 1.8, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And this is the fifth great commission text. But you know what? I'm like, why five? Really, Lord? One would do. He's like, no, it's not. One wouldn't do. Five doesn't do. I gravitate towards self-absorption, apathy, high maintenance. I want the blessings of salvation. And I don't want the responsibility to take it to the nations. I justify my inactivity. Oh, Lord, just not now. Just, just later. I justify my inactivity. I'm the master justifier of my inactivity. And yet you look at Paul's life when he hears these five great commissions. Paul says this in Romans 15. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. So we're not, not, we're not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul would say, man, where's the hardest places and send me? I'm like, where's the safest places and I'll volunteer. God wants to use you to join his mission. He wants to use you. This is one book. Genesis 1 through 11 is the introduction. Genesis 12 through Jude is the plot. And the conclusion, watch this, the conclusion takes what God began in Genesis 12 and concludes in Revelation 5, where you see a multicultural worship service from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And they sang a song, you, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from what began in Genesis 12, blessing all nations, is fulfilled. One book, one story, one mission, one question. Are we on board? Unfortunately, Revelation 5, 9, the world doesn't look like this yet. 
there is actually the least reached parts of the world is this map that you'll see called the 1040 window. The 1040 window. In this, in this box, this, it's, it's, it's the world's population. In this box, you'll see it goes 10 degrees up from the equator, 40 degrees up from the equator, and it stretches clear across Asia. 65 countries are in this box. Every major world religion started in this box. Again, 10 degrees up, 40 degrees up, and it stretches clear across Asia. 88% of every person born, live, and die in this box, 88% will never shake hands with a Christian. 88% will never meet a Christian. And yet God wants to use you. For some, he wants to use you to go there. For others, he wants to use you to give sacrificially. For others, he wants you to look up and see the nations from this box who you work with, who your kids play soccer with, who you sit at Starbucks with and initiate a conversation with. God wants to use you to reach this box. I hope you come back at four o'clock. I hope to see you here. We're gonna talk about how to reach the people in this box, no matter what age or stage you're in. I just got back from China. I only say that to impress you. Um, a month ago, we got back from China. And uh, I went to China because, you know, we had five kids. We needed a sixth. Every basketball team needs a sub. And um, my wife's like, hey, let's adopt from China. And I'm like, great idea. Now that we have five under 10, okay. So, you know, um, we decided to adopt. We got matched, by a, we got matched with a four-year-old. Um, in, in China, and um, his birth name, if you're wondering, is Wei Zhandong, and um, we changed it to Noble, just so he didn't feel like he stands out. Um, and uh, we took our kids to vacation before we left for China, just to be like, hey, kind of a one last, like the five of the you know, five kids, and and we're at, I'm, I'm, I'm having like breakfast at the hotel downstairs, I'm by myself, I'm, you know, Kind of, kind of getting some, some time, and, and, and the, the, the lady pouring me coffee, and I start to talk. And, of course, you know, when you're adopting, all conversations, you steer towards that. And so, you know, she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, we're taking this vacation. We're going to China. You know, she's like, oh, my gosh. And we just, you know. And she asked me a question. She asked me a question that completely startled me. She asked me a question that I was completely unable to fathom. I hadn't even thought about this question, and then she asked me the question. Does he know? You're coming for him? I said, excuse me? Does he know you're coming for him? Ma'am, he has no idea. He has 
zero idea that I have spent 15 months spending $34,000 filling out paperwork, background checks, financial accountability. He has no idea. He has a house with a bed and see, he has no idea. He has a college fund. He has no idea. In 21 days, he will be stamped a new citizen and afforded every benefit that that great nation gives. He has no idea. He has a father. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And the heart of this church cries, God, may the 1040 window know we're coming for them. May they hear that from the seat. May they hear that echo, we're coming for but we need you. We need you. Father, thank you for giving us a new citizenship. I just think my little cost of what it took for me to go get noble, and yet what it cost you to get us. And Lord, how quickly I am to forget large portions of the world have no idea the extent you've gone to. And may I be challenged to take next steps of obedience. In your name.